All right, and good morning once again, baseball fans, and welcome to another episode of the Kanika Daily Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Kenny, and I am joined, as always, by my beautiful co-host, my lovely wife, Nika. Good morning, Nika. Morning to all the baseball fans out there. Yes, and, and to you. what a wonderful morning it is. We had a, uh, a lot of games last night, and we got a lot of games getting started pretty soon here. Um, so without further ado, we're going to head into our daily recap with our legendary baseball voice, the one, the only, Max Sugarcane, who's here with another retro rundown for everybody. Take it away, Max. Take it away. Good morning once again, baseball fans, and welcome to the weekend. Legendary baseball voice Max Sugar Kane here, recapping all of last night's action in today's edition of the Retro Rundown. The force was strong with Anthony Rizzo, who hit two homers against Tampa Bay on his Star Wars Mandalorian bobblehead night, including a big two-run go-ahead homer in the eighth inning. This is the way, Anthony. The Yankees strike back against the division-leading Rays by a final of 6-5. to five. In a battle of surprise teams, the Orioles topped Pittsburgh at home 6-3, but it was Cedric Mullins who had himself a game for the Orange Birds, hitting for the cycle, becoming only the 12th Oriole to do so. He also drove in three runs, and his triple in the fifth inning set off Baltimore's new celebration, the birdbath, which led to a soaking of the fans in Section 86 of Camden Yards. The Mets won a close one in Washington, 3-2. Francisco Lindor drove in all three runs for the Mets on a single in the sixth inning, thanks to the base running speed of Brandon Nemo, who scored all the way from first. The Reds take down the Marlins in Miami, 7-4. It was the Viking, Jake Fraley, knocking a three-run homer in the ninth to give Cincinnati the win on the road. The man has crushed the Tigers in the Motor City, 9-2, who got a much-needed big night out of their superstar, Julio Rodriguez, who went 3-for-5 on the night with a homer and four RBIs. The Blue Jays handed Spencer Strider his first loss of the season for the Braves, 3-0 in Toronto, thanks to a beautiful pitching performance from Chris Bassett, who went the distance for the Bluebirds, pitching the team's first complete game shutout since 2015 when Mark Burley accomplished the feat. The Angels came from behind on the road to beat the Guardians at home in the ninth, getting to Cleveland's all-star closer Emmanuel Clace, who gave up a leadoff double to superstar Mike Trout. Brandon Drury hit a sacrifice fly to drive in the winning run for Los Angeles. The Cardinals also staged a ninth inning comeback to beat the Red Sox at Fenway 8-6. It was the young rookie Nolan Gorman with a big two-run go-ahead homer for St. Louis, his ninth on the season. The Cubbies beat up the Twins in Minnesota 6-2. Rookie call-up Christopher Morrell stays white-hot for Chicago, hitting his second homer in three games since getting the call-up from AAA Iowa. The Astros survived a wet one in Chicago, beating the White Sox 5-1. Houston got a much-needed strong stop from righty J.P. France, and Jordan Alvarez hit an insurance homer in the ninth, his ninth on the season. It was the Brew Crew over the Royals in Milwaukee 5-1. Righty ace Corbin Burns was lights out for the Brewers, going six, giving up two hits and no runs, and striking out seven. Philadelphia topped the Rockies in Colorado 6-3. It was superstar Bryce Harper coming up Big for the fighting Phils, breaking open a 3-3 tie in the 8th with a 2-run double. Kyle Schwarber homered for the Phillies his ninth. 
Out west, the Dodgers won another close one against the Padres 4-2. It was Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman going back-to-back in the seventh, giving Los Angeles game one against their West Coast rivals. The Diamondbacks held off the Giants in the desert, winning 6-5. Right fielder Dominic Fletcher brought the big bat for the Snakes, hitting a homer, a double, and driving in four. And the Athletics beat the Rangers in dramatic fashion when the best player in baseball you haven't heard of, Brett Rooker, hit a three-run homer in the bottom of the 10th for a final of 9-7. to Okay, and that's all the tales from inside the chalk lines from yesterday, but we'll be right back here again tomorrow with a recap of today's games with another edition of the Retro Rundown, heard exclusively right here on the Kanika Daily Baseball Podcast. All right. Now back to Kenny and Nika in the studio. Thank you, Max, for this wonderful and long update. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Max. Wow. Friday was an action-packed night. And, you know, Friday is one of the toughest nights for Max to do because all the games start late. Unless, of course, there's an afternoon game at Wrigley Field on Friday. But the Cubs were away yesterday, so he didn't even have that. No. All the games were in the evening. Yeah, so late night for Max, early morning. Uh, it's a tough one, and it's on days like today where we really appreciate having him with us. Do you think ghosts sleep? I mean, I, I don't think the rules change just because you're dead. Okay, I thought because you're dead, the rules completely change. Wishful thinking, perhaps. Wishful All thinking. Right. Well, we've got a great show for everyone today, and we are kind of taking a break from analysis and looking more at the new league rules. Uh, We've reached the 25% mark or so through the regular season, and it's a good time to look at all these new rule changes that MLB implemented this year to see how they're impacting the game versus last year. So we've got quite a few little statistics here to get through, but one of the big ones I wanted to start with is the average time of games. This has obviously been a big one for people because I think a lot of people felt baseball games like at over three hours were just too long. I think there was a lot of like inflated time out there, mound visits, pitching changes, uh, throwing over to first base to stall and buy time, you know, and I think rightfully so that these things got called out by Major League Baseball and they kind of put a end to some of these practices within the game to help speed it up. So you're saying the game got shorter by at least half an hour? Yeah, so the games right now on average are 28 minutes shorter than they were last year without these rule changes. Let's consider the amount of time, half an hour. And when you sprinkle that 30 minutes throughout the whole game? You, you get a blowout, you know, and you got to team up like seven zip and it's the seventh inning, like you're going to start to see fans trickle out of the game because they know that the the pitching changes are coming and it's just going to slow down to a chug. With these new rules, you're seeing a little bit less of that. People can tough it out. They can they can stay an extra 20 minutes. They can't stay an extra hour. You know, it's, it's really helpful, especially to someone like us now that's covering almost all the games every day or at least trying to that time matters you know like everything's impacted by time having that extra time really helps people like us that are just doing this as amateurs but even people that go to the games when you consider the traffic the finding your car parking you know all those things play a role by the time you get home you have a half a day lost because you just went to a ball game absolutely 
So yeah, there's a little bit more maybe like going to a movie. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to like an all day, like you, you lose a whole day just because you want to go to a baseball game. Do you do tailgating a baseball? Yeah, absolutely. On Saturday games, we did it a lot in Milwaukee. You know, we grew up between Chicago and Milwaukee, you know, so we would go up to Milwaukee. Milwaukee had more of like a parking lot area than Wrigley Field. And, and Comiskey, or I call it Comiskey, but whatever it's called now, the cell. Um, I can't even keep up first rate field. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Whatever Comiskey Park is in Chicago now, you can also tailgate there because they have like parking lot. Um, so anywhere that has like a parking lot, like you can tailgate. But we did it in Milwaukee. Uh, we used to stop at the old Woodman's on the oh. way on 94 and pick up the keg uh, back when uh, that was going on. No, oh, cool. So yeah, I don't think you can do tailgating at Wrigley. There's just no way. No, but I oh. I, I always ran the grill, you know, like uh, of course I did, right? I love to eat. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I always associate tailgating with football. I never considered baseball, but it makes sense. Why not? Yeah, we would tailgate. You know, like man, I think we would try to get up there pretty early. You know, the earlier the better. Like uh, people wanted to. You know, if, if they were giving up their day for it, it's like might as well get it started. Um. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't tailgate still, but it just means that you have less time to sober up before you go home. Not in Milwaukee. <laughs> well, we might talk about that at the end. Yeah. Um, all right. So the next, I wanted to get into the, some of these uh, specifics though really sure. quick. Um, so the first thing I wanted to say is the pitch clock. Um, it hasn't really been a problem. I haven't really seen it impacting a lot of games, you know? Like it seems like everyone's adjusted to it. There might have been a few hiccups early on. I, I heard about it more, I feel like, in the first week or two of the season than I have since. I haven't heard it. It's not, no games are being decided by, like, a batter stepping out of the box and, like, you know what I mean? So you're getting none of these, like, quote-unquote MLB horror scenario situations, if you will. I, um, you're right. The pitch clock pitchers adjusted first it was a little bit trial and error for a lot of new pitchers mm -hmm. and by may i don't see a lot of what you call that faults not faults <laughs> well they call them violations violations I think. like yeah, yeah you don't see those a lot you don't in fact and this is just as a general statistic but through may 11th which was just a couple days ago mm -hmm. um 52 percent of the games played in major league baseball total did not have any violations at all. So over half the games have been played and have not had any violations. Wow, that goes exactly to the point we just made. It doesn't really affect the game, the pitch clock. Sure, I mean, that's just the pitch clock. Now, there's also pickoff violations and disengagements or whatever they're called. So that's taking into account all of these things. Okay. So that's why I, I didn't put it up there with the pitch clock. But uh, it, it does contribute to the overall violations, of which there have been none. That's good. So another big rule change that we saw in the offseason was the elimination of the shift. So it required all four infielders to be positioned on the infield dirt. They could no longer position themselves in the outfield grass at all. And then there was also the shift from left to right where like the second baseman and the shortstop have to stay on their side of second base. Like no more putting three infielders on one side and like moving the third baseman to shortstop and that kind of stuff all over now. 
So having said that, we now see that there's a statistic called batting average of balls in play. So when a, when a hitter puts the ball into the field of play, not foul, but fair, um, their batting average has gone up six points. So last year it was 290, and this year it is now 296. So not a huge rate. I, I thought you might see a higher jump, honestly. Um, but nevertheless, more balls are finding their way through holes, and uh, that means there's more hits, and I think that's good for the game. Is the six points, obviously that's not a lot. You're talking like, you know, when you when you make this into percentages, you're talking about it went from 29% to 29.6%. Okay. Well, if you think about it that way. Sure. That's not a huge change, no. but it's noticeable. It is, and no one has noticed it more than left-handed hitters. Yes. Now, if you think about the shift, it, I don't know why. It just seemed like more teams shifted against lefties. Juan Soto, for example, is a big, good example. I don't see him... I remember they were talking about like his. They, they said his opposite field is like left center, so he really pulls the ball a lot. He's a pull hitter, you know. But you would often see the second baseman going into like shallow right. You would have the right fielder and the center fielder shifted to the more toward like the right fielder would be more on the line. The center fielder would be more in like right center. The left fielder would be more in left center. The the third baseman would move to shortstop. The shortstop would move to behind second base. The second baseman would move into shallow right field. You know, like they they were basically putting up a wall, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to where Soto would pull the ball. And like they cannot do that anymore. And and so lefties are seeing a 10 point increase in their batting average. So it's gone up from 283 to 293 this year and that's a that's a pretty big jump over. I think there's more right-hander hitters than left-hander pe- hitters. Or am I mistaken? No, you're you're not mistaken. There's more right-handed hitters and pitchers. It's right. just lefty is more uh lefty is rare. Rarer. My grade school English teachers would be so proud of me for saying <laughs> rarer on a podcast in 2023. More rare. Is that better? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh Okay, you bring up a good point. I, I I don't know why they shift less for righties. You know, I'm not saying that they didn't shift for righties at all, but with lefties, you noticed it was this big dramatic like realignment on the field. I I I see that, but then at the same time, I feel like some of the teams have not adjusted to that. They still play like the shift is there. Yeah, we kind of got into this yesterday with the Padres and Mets, but I kind of want to keep the theme going, I guess, a little bit is because those two teams are struggling right now and their batting averages are like, you know, lower year to year as individual players than they are from years past, you know, not everybody, but a lot of the big names like Soto, Machado. So that's obviously impacting the team. Uh And I think because of the rule changes, the philosophy needed to shift more. Like more of the field is now available to you as right. a hitter and Use it. you should be using it more. And, and I just feel like the teams that are being successful right now are the teams that are I see hitting to all fields, like the Rays. So it's very frustrating to watch and and see that some teams seem to have gotten the memo like that, oh, I, I, I got more available to me now and, and other teams haven't. Very frustrating. It is frustrating. Hopefully they can adjust to that Everybody should be hitting for a better batting average than they have in the past because of these rule changes right now. Yeah. And if you're not as a hitter, I would say it's time to maybe look at that a little bit more closely and like, do I need to embrace a change in my game to 
flex sort of changes. make up for like baseball is constantly a game of adjustments and this is no different yeah. you need to adjust and you need to start using the whole field and, and, and finding those holes again and less selfish I think to your point you said this last night like more teams were players were trying to hit the ball just over the shift like home run like yeah. you know like well if they're gonna shift me like that I only got one choice I gotta hit it where none of them can reach it <laughs> I feel that's the case a lot of times. And I they don't really have to do. do that anymore. Now they can just kind of play baseball again. Right, and they have mental blockage for some reason. They feel like, oh, we still got to hit it hard. And I, I see some of them swing so hard, and it's like, dude, and you just missed it. Yeah, I really think baseball's in somewhat of a conflict with itself sometimes, you know, because they want home runs because it creates excitement for fans, and, like, there's nothing more exciting than a home run. But at the same time, I, I would argue 90 percent of the players in the big leagues should not be going up to the plate thinking like I should hit a home run right mm -hmm. now when you do that you change your swing you swing too hard you overswing you become mechanically broken and you also like start guessing a lot oh I gotta sit dead red so when he throws me that fastball he's gonna try to throw it to me once and what what's happening is the pitchers aren't they're not caving they're not throwing it to him once you know or, or they're locating nice pitches on the outside corner or in places that are not in a hitter's wheelhouse. That's when you have to take the pitch and just take the single to the opposite field. And yeah, you're still going to get on base that way. Until you prove that you out. do that. So, well, yeah. we're getting a little off track here yeah. with the rules, but... Um, the last one is the bases. Yeah, so stolen bases. Stolen bases are impacted by a few things. The, the bases are bigger. So the, the gap is just all that much shorter between bases. It's by inches, but it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Baseball has always been a game of inches. So baseball, stolen base attempts are at 1.8 attempts per game. And that is the highest in a, a long time. It does harken back to the 80s heyday of like Ricky Henderson and Vince Coleman and Tim Raines. The guys that would steal like 60 to 100 bases a year, which we haven't seen numbers like that in a long time. Wow. That's a lot of stolen bases. Yeah. But anyways, so the big number that jumps out at me with stolen bases, though, is the success rate is at 78.3. And that is the highest in MLB history. Wow. Is that too high? Is, is there too much success with stolen bases now? Like, have they made it too easy for them to get... I don't think so. I think it creates excitement. Does the success create this excitement or does the act of stealing create the excitement? I think the act of stealing and the fact that the game is moving quicker, that the players can go and try to steal it makes the game more exciting. And that goes again, put the ball in play instead of trying to have a home run every single time. I, I agree with everything you said. I just feel like the catchers are getting the short end of the stick here. Oh, well, that's a different issue. <laughs> and I'm just wondering how to like balance it out a little bit more. Like everything that's been done right now is making the game harder for catchers. It doesn't feel like they're they're getting a fair shakedown maybe because that's a high. You're basically saying like four out of every five stealing attempts is going to be successful. Yeah. I think it would be better at more of a 50-50. Like mm. I, I think it would create more tension if it's like, oh, this this guy, like you said, it's the act of stealing which creates the excitement. Right. Not necessarily the outcome, but right. the act. And I feel personally that if there was more of a, not sure if it's going to be 
safe or not? You know, I, I guess if, if there was more of a 50-50, like, is this going to work out or not, it would create even more tension. So how you rectify it? Are you making the bases short, smaller or you're allowing the pitcher to throw? I don't think anything's going to change. I think this has to be a catching adjustment league-wide. I think it's going to take, it might take a season or two before one catcher figures out something mechanically that will change the game, you know? I, I, I feel like whenever something like this happens is when, you know, you, you get in, ingenuity or... Innovation. Innovation. Yeah, exactly. Great. Good good word. Like, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. Catchers frame pitches a lot more today than they used to when I was a kid. They're trained to, to pull those pitches, like, back into the strike zone as they cross the plate to try to fool the umpire. And I think some catchers do it very successfully mm -hmm. because I see a lot of balls called strikes these days. I don't know. Maybe those old umpires need to retire. But anyways, there there is one other factor that plays a part in this, which is the pickoff attempts because pitchers are not allowed to hold runners. And that's, that's really what pickoffs are for is to like basically hold runners in check a little bit, you know, like make sure they don't get huge leadoffs, make sure they don't get great jumps at first base. So that's, that's another way you can help your catcher if you're a pitcher, right? Uh -huh. So the fact that they're limited now in that, and if they do throw over once or twice, the runner can even get a bigger jump because now they can't throw over there. That makes sense. So it seems to me there's a lot on the catcher. There is. Now, a couple things that can start to be done, I think, to curb this is that the catchers need to throw to first after a pitch more because I don't believe there's any limitations on, like, oh, the catcher cannot throw to first base after a pitch, you know, and they can only do it once or twice. No, there's no limitations on that. So if a runner is getting a big secondary lead but not stealing, a way to cut that down is to have the catcher after the pitch throw over to first base or second base or whatever. You know, like it's it's another way of holding a runner on base. I know um, they measured that time too, how long it takes for the catcher to throw a ball to the first or the second, how fast mm -hmm. it releases the ball. And that got shortened already by certain amount too because of the rule changes. Definitely. And then another thing I think is is pitch outs. When I pitched in high school, for example, we used to have a, 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 a call from the catcher to the pitcher where the pitcher was just supposed to throw the ball totally off the plate. The catcher was going to like jump up and, and, and be standing when he caught the ball and already like being in a throwing position. You know what I mean? It's called a pitch out where you're basically, you know, the guy on first is probably going to steal on this pitch. And you're, you're basically preempting that by doing this pitch out, you know, to give your catcher a better chance to throw him out. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen that happen. Yeah. Yet. So I think you're going to see more pitch outs in the future to like sort of try and counterattack some of these advantages that have gone to the runners on stolen bases. Obviously, if they're succeeding four out of five times out there, that's a big increase. I think the sample size right now is only a quarter of a season. I would like to see the end of the season, how it shakes out with all these numbers and stats. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really small sample size right now, but it is, uh, I think, a large enough data set to sort of look at what the trends are. Oh, yeah. We but I do that. think over the season, yes, we will start to see more defensive measures put into place and ingenuity, innovation in the game to come up with something new. Well, speaking of innovations, the Reds <laughs> unveiled their City Connect unis. 
they are very, very innovative. Well, yeah, this just happened this morning and it was kind of fell into our laps. So we wanted to uh, put a bow on this episode by talking about the debut of the Reds City Connect uniforms. Now, the City Connect uniforms for me are hit or miss. Um, we have some situations like the Padres, which I feel like are one of the best. Uh, and then we have situations like Colorado, which basically put their state license plate on a uniform. Yeah. That's hilarious, but it's so true. Uh, I don't know. Whoever had that great idea. <clears throat> hey, we got a Colorado plate that looks like mountains. Let's use that. <laughs> that was a horrible idea. Now, the Reds, though, they debuted their uniforms this morning. And I got to say, they caught my eye really quick. They are very sharp. Was it the Sith look-alike contest? Yeah, I, I'm really surprised they didn't debut these on their Star Wars weekend at the Cincinnati because these are right up in line with like a Star Wars dark side color motif. If you're familiar with that, um, very dark black uniform, solid black, tops and bottoms. Normally not a fan of this, but... It really works here. The lettering is in black as well with like white and red trim to give it like a 3D kind of look. And it, it does pop out on the chest, I got to say. And then you have this really nice C design. I think you know a little bit about this. Can you tell everyone about like what the the C design is? Well, the C actually, it's on the, the black cap and it has modern font of a C in red. Uh, and the red has a piping across the front of the hat. It resembles the team of 1919-era caps that were worn in the Field of Dreams last year. In, oh, okay. In the Iowa game. So, so that it's a kind of, of a throwback. It's a throwback logo. to the logo, and that logo also appears on the um, on their jerseys. Hmm. So it's kind of cool. And the batting helmets, it looks like. Nice. Oh, the batting helmets, yeah, they, they mimic the um, the cap. I think it's sharp looking. It's supposed to be futuristic to attract younger generations to the game, and it was done on purpose. Mm -hmm. I think it's very sharp uniform. Uh, yeah. So then the Reds are debuting these next Friday in a three-game set against the Yankees at home. Yes. So that's kind of cool. Um, Cincinnati is one of the original baseball teams. Yes, yeah, so they do have a long history, and they kind of wanted to move away from the original coloring a little bit. They still want to implement it, the red, but they wanted to be more futuristic. The lettering is supposed to be like infrared red color with neon stripes. I like the all-black look. I, I think the only criticism I have of the reds in general is that I wish they had a red jersey somewhere. <laughs> Oh, flip the colors. And they do have some red home unis, it looks like, a solid red. So um, I'm cool with this look for them, for the City Connect uniforms. Yeah, I'm not a huge all-black unis, but these look sharp. They're very sharp. Very I wouldn't sharp. be surprised if they wanted to wear them every day. They might blend in with the Yankees wearing all-black. Wait, does Yankee have black all unis? No, White Sox do. Oh, the White Sox, I get it, but it, it, I still don't love it. <laughs> I don't know. It's a little bit much to me. It's almost gaudy. The white pinstripes on an all-solid black uniform. Yeah, and the goth lettering. Yeah, no. 
Yeah. It looks too old. It needs a facelift. Yeah, Look. plus the White Sox have so much history and sharp logos to play with. It's really disappointing that they didn't put more of the team history into the design and they went with this like kind of south side Chicago mobster thingy. I don't know. It definitely embarks on the mafia, like violent past of Chicago. And I wish it was more embodiment of the team franchise, you know, the SOX logos throughout the years, um, the funny 80s baseball man that they wear sometimes, you know, they, they could have just had a lot more fun with their uniforms. I think. Yeah, I, I, I do not care for their font. I feel like the 1990s are calling and want their font back. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, someone just got their hands on Photoshop for the first time. Am I right? <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> all right well i think we're gonna get out of here for this saturday episode we got to get moving here and get on with the day so that we can all keep up <laughs> it's get gets harder and harder to keep up with all the games but we love doing it and we love bringing you this show every day but at the same time if you have some feedback for us or if you want to leave us a comment or tell us how bad we're doing even uh you can reach us by email at kanika daily k-e-n-i-k-k-a daily at gmail.com uh and yeah feel free to drop us a note there we're, we're always checking the inbox but that's going to do it for this episode of the kanika daily baseball podcast and yeah hope everyone enjoys the games today this is your host kenny signing off and nika signing off bye adios bye